cool. So great to have you here. Hey, if you do, if you want to turn with me, open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to turn there. Uh, just before that, a couple of announcements and we'll jump right into it. So great to have you here. Just beautiful to be back together. And um, just in the, this room, uh, I don't know if you remember last fall, we were in the, the other kind of ballroom. It's great to be back in a fall season here just in this room. There are a couple things that we're looking forward to. Um, uh, in a couple weeks is Community Sunday. And so we are just gearing up for that. Another week of Community Sunday where we won't be in this room together, but in communities uh, together, just celebrating, being together. And then two weeks, so that's two weeks from today. Three weeks from today is uh, Thanksgiving. We will not be in this room because on the Friday, we're doing our Thanksgiving long table. It's going to be beautiful on the Friday night where we just like, it's l literally going to be a long table where we eat and celebrate, have a turkey dinner together. We're really excited. We will share the location with you uh, shortly, just tying a few things up. But wanted to let you know, if you could help us to let us know that you're coming, that'd be huge, just as we prepare some things along the way and get ready for that. It's the best event, and I know there's been a lot of changes and shifting over COVID, but pre-COVID, it was like our best time, just kind of being together as a church family. It's a party, and we're going to have a great time together on that evening. So let us know you're coming. There won't be a gathering on Thanksgiving Sunday. We'll just be online together. And so for Community Sunday and Thanksgiving Sunday, we have a guy who will actually be sharing with us um, kind of in the virtual space. So like when we gather together in our uh, communities and then the next Sunday, he's going to do a two-part series for us. His name's Aaron Young. He's a friend of mine, church planter in Seattle. And so he's just going to help us in the direction of the teaching for those two weeks in communities when you gather in living rooms and then the next week when we're online for Thanksgiving. And it's going to be wonderful. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. Hopefully you can join us. We'll be in this room next week kind of concluding the series we're in and then a two-week series with Aaron uh, where we're just kind of in homes and celebrating and eating turkey dinners together. Come on, somebody. That's good. That's really good news. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, we are taking the month of September to really look at this idea of the gospel. We're calling it the Good News Re uh, Revolution because in your Bibles, the term gospel, this is what it means. The Greek word is euangelion, this word meaning good news. And so for some of us flannelboard kind of church, you know, Sunday school kids, this word is used a lot, especially in certain segments of the church. I think of a lot of more reformed kind of traditions. We use this, they use this word, and we use it a lot too. We use the word gospel. And sometimes we just assume we know what we're talking about when we use this word that's littered throughout the New Testament. Jesus gets on the scene and he tells people that he's come with Euangelion. He's come to bring to bear good news, uh, his good news, the Euangelion. The problem is what we've done kind of in the Western world is we have summed the good news up simply as the plan of salvation. For most people, the good news, the, the, the gospel as we talk about it, is simply Jesus died for my sins, I need to repent of my sins, and I need to go to heaven when I die. And what it's created is it's created kind of the, this, I would say, especially in the Western context, very microwaved, quick, quick, quick. We need to share the gospel. It's Jesus died for your sins. You need to repent and go to heaven when you die. And we need to do this really quickly because that's kind of our mission. The problem with that is, and we saw this last week, 
The plan of salvation is absolutely at the heart of the gospel. But the problem with that is Jesus was proclaiming the gospel before what? His death and resurrection. Jesus was going from town to town proclaiming this thing called the Evangelion, the good news. And so we have to grapple with there was good news before Jesus died and rose again. Now, please do not, uh, this is the tension with this, is some of you may hear what I'm not saying. Please understand the plan of salvation is a deep and central part of the gospel. But what we've been learning is that the gospel is this big, macro, beautiful thing. Matthew Bates puts it like this. We've basically stole his definition. He puts it like this, that Jesus is the saving king. If you want to sum up the gospel, what it is, when Jesus said he's come with the good news, he is proclaiming that he is king. He pre-existed with God the Father in accordance with God's promises. Jesus became human in the line of David, died for our sins, of course, was buried, was resurrected on the third day, was seen, was installed. I love this as God's king at God's right uh, as king at God's right hand. And I'll just stop there and say, some people go, is Jesus really at the right hand of the Father? That's not as much the point with that first century language. The, the, the point of the right hand language is any time that was using, used, it was talked of authority. This was an image. If you were at somebody's right hand, you held authority. So he's at the right hand of, uh, it was installed as king at God's right hand, sent the spirit, and Jesus will return to rule. Set up a new heavens and a new earth. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the totality of the story. Jesus died, was buried, rose again, yes. But he also pre-exists with the Father and he is returning. Now, how are we doing? When we think of it like this, brothers and sisters, this just changes the game. If we respond with our lives to this, Brothers and sisters, it is on like Donkey Kong is the church, as God's people. Because it's not just then this passive, and we, we're, we're, we've been shaped like this over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. And not, not all of it was bad, but this quick, like, quick, you've got to do this. You've got to pray a prayer, get in, to, whoa, the whole dynamic of my very life, the fabric of my life completely changes because Jesus is king. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about for week one, what is the gospel? Just bring clarity. I hope it's clear. I hope there's some clarity here on what we really feel the gospel is in the scriptures. This is what Paul pointed to when he talked about the gospel. Now week two, what we want to do is take some time and talk about the church becoming the gospel. Paul's vision was, yes, the gospel was something we tell, but as the church, and we're not going to get into like the, the, the depth maybe of some of the language, but certainly gospel was a noun. It was something used, but it was also used at times. It was a thing. It was a message, but it was also, in Paul's language, a verb. It's actually something we did together. Actually, the term you could kind of translate in English is this word gospeling, that we are gos a gospeling community together. What's fascinating is we often think, if you're a Christian, which most of us are in this room, we think the gospel is for people out there. Paul very much in his language as he was writing to churches, it was, it's clear. 
understood that the gospel was for us in here just as it was as much for people out there. So much that in his language, he uses this, again, language of gospeling each other, seeing the good news come to bear in community. If this is true, brothers and sisters, it's on. Um, I know to a detriment, I have a very, I grate on people all the time. Not here, um, but you know, just in the shifting moment right now where most people have a very low view of the church. I'm sorry, I just want to warn you, I will grate on you with a very, very high view of the church. And even in my own story now, shifting kind of to working full time and uh, I'm just studying this stuff and engaging this stuff. I personally, on a personal level, are more in on this thing than I've ever been in my life. I'm in on this thing. And one of the things we have to grapple with is the type of experiences we're going to have and how we will actually respond and be a gospeling community. One of the tensions we feel in the scriptures is it speaks way more collectively to us as a community than it ever does to us as individuals. Now, there are moments and times where the New Testament talks about individual experience, but I have to be honest, I'm, I always get a little worried. This may sound a little on the edge, and I don't mean it like this. I always get a little worried when people talk about their personal encounters with God. Not because like a life devoted and formed in the way of Jesus is a thing. It's totally a thing. Prayer and, and communing with God is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's just fascinating. If you actually read the New Testament from beginning to end, and you weigh out the communal experience where God is present in the temple of God, right? Moving and working. And you weigh that against personal experiences. Which one do you think weighs out? Communal experience over and over. Yes, Paul was knocked off a horse. But if we were to go around, there's very few of us probably in this. Anybody like traveling on your horse to get groceries and God knocked you off, right? Like, I'm not saying those things are not legitimate. I'm just saying that those things are probably the exception to the rule than the rule itself. Most of us, as we talk about what God wants to do and form within us, there's a bit of, not in this community, but I find a lot of times talking to Jesus followers, there's a bit of an angst because people want to have this encounter with God. God, just do your work within me. And we don't realize that God's primary way, here comes the high ecclesiology guy, the primary way God does that is in a community of people together. And we just, I, 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 I feel the tension and the pull to individualism. I feel it. I'm an introvert. I like sometimes just my neat and tidy ways of doing things. And that's shaken a bit because these encounters are typically seen in the letters of Paul. He's writing to communities of people and how God would move and work within them. Now, is a devotional life, is a being transformed on an individual level? Absolutely. But I think we in the Western world have made that the rule. God wants to work in your life, in your life, in your life, sure. But actually, when you pick up the scriptures, it's more and more this devotion towards each other. So you get to Colossians 3. How we doing? You okay? You all right? Colossians 3, listen to what Paul says in verse 12. He says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, which is, a, again, a hyperlink back to the Old Testament, to Israel's story, holy and dearly loved. I love that language. Paul says, clothe yourselves as this community with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over, over all, these virtues put on love, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Remember, your is this communal, this, the, the community, your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Ugh, thankful, come on. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your, plural, your hearts. And whatever you, plural, do, okay, I'll stop, whether in word or deed, so that's all of us, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Come on. This is the reading of God's word. There's a sense here that the saving king that we see in the gospel, his work now is embodied through a community. Again, we have to test what Jesus is doing in the scriptures. It's interesting that God could have done it simply just through like messages. Like, I don't know, you think of a way in which people would just continually kind of hear this message, right? The gospel, the good news. And yet, collectively, we see in the New Testament that it's actually the church that would not just embody the message to speak it, but they would embody it with their actions and with their lives. The sense is, in Paul's language, and I'm convinced on this, that you have the gospel, but then the church, be, the church community together becomes the gospel. It's not just words from a distance, and we've kind of done this, right? Like kind of lobbying like truth bombs from a distance. Word is part of it, but it's word and deed together. That the church seems to embody, remember Jesus' mission, he came in word and deed. I love that, that he was mighty in word and deed. He wasn't just mighty in truth and in word, but he came and he demonstrated the word that, he, the very word that he brought. Make sense? You follow me? The same call is for the community of Jesus. That the community of Jesus would be mighty, in a sense, in word and deed. Michael Gorman puts it like this. He says this. He says the church performs the gospel as a living commentary on it. The church performs the gospel as a living commentary on it. It lives the story, it embodies the story, and it tells the story. Brothers and sisters, like, we are this living commentary. That gives us a vision, right? You know, we have the scriptures and we interpret the text. Now the hope is, now that we have this good news and we become this good news, we embody the good news, people on the outside should be interpreting us as a community and experiencing the gospel. This is how it goes. This is how it works. And so it embodies really three things. It embodies being as a community. We are now this living gospel. We are this temple, this living community together that the world sees and experiences the good news. It comes in our doing because Jesus didn't just come saying stuff. What did he do? He came healing, coming to the poor, coming to the broken, breaking his life out. You know, the vision we get of communion or the Eucharist is body broken, blood poured out. This is what Jesus did for us. And now the same call is for us to not just speak the gospel and tell it, but to actually embody it in a way where we do. 
So think about it. All the instruction in family households and what happens in the church around self-sacrificial love. I know the Ephesians 5 passage just gets totally out of whack about submission and servanthood, but that's the, the call for Paul was for everybody in the community to submit to one another. This type of doing then shows the world the gospel, and then, of course, we tell it. So, how are we doing? We okay? You all right? High ecclesiology here. I, I just, I'm not even going to apologize. I just think there's so much, here's what I noticed. There's so much longing in people, uh, Christians, myself included, that want God to do stuff but we just kind of want it to be like on an individual basis. And I think you see in the, the, the New Testament clearly that God wants to kind of do this within us. And what it relieves us of is any gimmicks, right? I kind of joked last week, you get a car and let's have a big egg drop and every, you know, like, and these things aren't bad. In and humpback whale, anybody? No, okay, nobody, sorry. It's like from the early 2000s. And you get a humpback whale, yeah, all right, let's go. That, It relieves us when we see it like this, that we are the gospel community together. It relieves us from gimmicks or like quick fixes that we've got to all of a sudden like be something or do something really amazing for the world to respond to the gospel or that even church has to maybe look a certain way and we've kind of been through this to be a kind of attractional moment in the church where it's like, hey, if we just get the right lights and maybe a fog machine, which is on order by the way at Praxis Church, um, wouldn't go so well in this room with the light, I don't think, sorry. But, you know, if we just do that, then people are gonna hear and hear and experience the gospel. It also, when we understand that the church becomes the gospel, it relieves us, in many ways, from wanting someone else to do our gospel dirty work. Like, I don't know if you've experienced this in the church where it's like, okay, we have a few people, they go out on street teams, and they kind of proclaim the gospel because the gospel is solely the plan of salvation. We, and this is not wrong, but... Like, we just send people out on our behalf. Hey, you go do it for me. And we miss the fact that what we're doing right here, even and right now as a community, we are the gospel. There's an experience here as we turn towards each other, as we come around the scriptures, as we worship as a community. uh, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Paul talked about in Colossians here, that we put on display what the gospel is. And so, Even what Paul is talking about here and this idea that we become the gospel relieves me from saying, okay, you go do it. Get on a street team, go do your thing. You can do that, but it says that our work week in and week out is very, very important in gospel work. This is why over the 10 years, you've never heard me beg people to come to church, right? Sometimes it can get hot and heavy in churches where it's like, you got to come to the gathering, and this is, this is what it's got to look like. It's never been like that. I would much rather come from this posture. How is the gospel put on display? When we're together. So it should be important. Hey, try and have those, those personal God experiences. Sure, they're out there. I'm not, not denying that. But you want to encounter and experience God. You want to know and breathe and eat and live out the gospel. It happens here when we're together. One theologian said this. He said, evangelism is, the, is me, uh, means the invitation through word, deed, and example for the people to follow Christ with their whole lives as part of the Christian community. 
So just as Jesus was mighty in word and deed, we are being the gospel, we are doing the gospel, we are telling it. We are fully embodying it together. And so, with all that said, it, it's true that the church should be important. And as I just reflect on the moment we're in and even my own story, it's almost like a sense of relief for me because I'm realizing even as in like in a pastoral role, in all the shoulders I rub with in our city that are followers of Jesus, that there's not much I'm going to say that's going to change anyone's mind. And there's a sense of relief with that. There's tons of talk right now about the church, right? And what the church should be. And I, to I totally get that. There's lots of disappointment with the church. I fully, I fully understand that. I, I get it. I understand the abuses. I understand what we've seen. And most of you are not fully dialed into this because you honestly have real lives and real jobs and stuff. But there's been a lot in evangelicalism with leaders and big churches over the last two years since COVID. A lot of implosions, leaders falling, churches going awry, and I understand all that. I get, I totally get all that. I think that has in some ways shaped even my own and our own philosophy of what the church should be, and just even the, the moment we've stepped into this fall with more leadership-based, like team-based stuff, and fully submitting to one another and leading in community. I look back on the years of like really like trying to make things happen trying to do things, trying to make it happen the last decade, and on, uh, just for me, and maybe this is free therapy for me, so thank you very much, I just feel honestly free from this. Like, done are the days for me trying to convince people that church is important. I think for me, it's just, this is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves, like, hey, we become the gospel in response to it doesn't take gimmicks, doesn't take really good talks that are going to try and inspire people that are disillusioned. I understand the disillusionment. I just, I sense in my own spirit, in my own heart, just a commitment in on this. If this is true, it, it conjures a response. And if it's not true, then the Bengals play at one. Judah, Judah would be so proud. The Bengals play at one o'clock. He's a big Bengals fan. I don't like the Bengals, but right? There's better stuff that was funny, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. There's better stuff probably to do. But if this is true, and the instruction from what Paul kind of gives here as the community, again, just looking at this, whatever you do, do it in word and deed. Do it in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness, singing songs, coming together, bearing each other's burdens, forgiving each other. This is the gospel embodied. And I think all the shaking we've seen the last couple years, we have to come to, the, come to grips that the gospel is powerful in word, but I honestly think a lot of people have heard it and the deed hasn't matched the word. And so what we need to step into as a community now is obviously embodying all these things, being, doing, and telling, but I wonder if the doing part for us together will actually re reclaim some credibility with the people around us that want to look to the faults and the failings of the church. It's this. It's what Paul says here. Funny how Paul takes the language of Israel being a holy people and he places it on the church. And what's funny about that is he continues to call the church a holy people, but have you read the letters of the New Testament? 
Have you read First and Second Corinthians? <laughs> Do it someday. It's like Jerry. Jer- it's like Jerry Springer on steroids, man. You have people, all sorts of stuff in there. You know, leadership issues and all sorts of stuff with sexuality and so much brokenness. And yet Paul continues to contend that this community is holy. You are holy now live, with, live like it. You are this chosen people and live like it and put on display, become the gospel, gospel each other. And this is what Paul is saying in Colossians 3. As you do this, the good news comes to bear. And so no more trying to make things happen. What if we as a community just lived free in who we are? I just want to encourage some of us, as you talk, I know this, this is not, I know this lands. Some of us, many of us in this room, grew up in the church, we have people around us that kind of have left or kind of are disillusioned, I totally understand that, I've walked away, and sometimes it can be pinned on us why, we, I don't know about you, as a pastor dude sometimes, I feel like I've almost got to apologize, and I'm a pastor dude, right, so I can imagine what you feel and experience. Let's just be who we are, this gospeling community together. I love this because I think we talked about this last week. You know, one of the things you get is in the Gospels, and we talked a little bit, is the great surprise that what the Gospel is in the first century culture was so different than what people were expecting. I don't want to rehash all this, but especially if you were a first century Jew, under the oppression of Caesar in the first century, you are expecting military power in a Messiah. And there were zealots. If you read, just read history. A couple hundred years before Jesus, there were all sorts of zealots that would kind of rise up. I think of a guy named Judas Maccabeus, led a revolt. These guys kind of became popular, but it never really did anything in the empire. And then this, really, in some ways, this guy from the backwoods comes in human flesh. Like Nazareth. Think of like the most stick place you can think of in Ontario. This was Nazareth in early Palestine and in Israel. And God uses Jesus in just the, it's really bizarre. I understand the complexity and sometimes the dynamic of it because it's really upside, I mean, the first century it's upside down. But I also think this, just as the gospel is different than what we think embodied in Jesus, the gospel is different embodied in the church. Just as the gospel is different than we think, this gospel is different than we could ever think or imagine, and is almost offsetting in a sense, like, holy, what? This Messiah comes, and instead of in power, he comes in weakness. So too, listen, so too is the church. The church is different than we think. And this, for us, helps shape that we embody the way of Jesus and the people that he went to, and the life that he lived, and it's actually been really different than our Western metrics in the church. Somebody nod your head. You with me? The Western metrics the last number of years has been around certain things that I'm not sure really Jesus is even really that interested in. Just as it was different for the Messiah to come and for everybody to go, ooh, like, give me my Tim Allen, anybody home improvement, like, right? Like, this moment where it's like, this is totally backwards, there should be a sense of that in the church. Instead of power, we work out of weakness. Instead of propping people up on stages with lights like we've done the last couple of decades, it should be the community of people. What we did in the summer was intentional. As we f- I feel the tension of this, we're a community of people. Everybody is invited. 
instead of using power metrics in evangelism to kind of pad stats, we are these people that humbly live out the way of Jesus. Yes, telling this good news, I hope as even, and there's intentionality with this being on the screen this morning, the whole story, because I hope we could just see it over and over, that this is our message. But instead of power and abuse and many of the things that we've seen, we come to it humbly. We lay our lives down. We come into the way of Jesus just as what Paul is saying here. Just as it was surprising for the Messiah to come, there should be, I hope, in the next wave of the church, if you want to call it, some surprises. That even as people come into our community and we embody the gospel together, it's like, oh, I thought I thought this would be all about one person. Or I thought, wow, like I thought you would, I would come into a place and my perception of the church is they would have all the answers. No, we humbly walk together. We don't have all the answers. We, we're wrestling and walking this out together. We serve each other. We lay our lives down together. In a sense, as the gospel surprises, my hope would be is that the church that becomes the gospel would also be surprising in its future moment. You out there? You with me? My, I guess the call is, let's surprise some people. Do I think this is disconnected from our story and what we've l- lent into here in some of the changes? I don't. I think it's actually beautiful and healthy. And I can only speak for myself that it's, there's new, I feel like there's new life in me as I re-engage the New Testament and see how the, ch- the, the, the leading of the church and what the church should become. I feel like we're on the cusp, I really do. But I, I just want to remind us that the, the gospel should not just be something out there that's just like ethereal and distant from us and is just some message. It's who we become to the world. And so even the little moments here in a second as we move to take bread and juice, and I know it's like super packaged and sanitary, um, every element, every word we sing, everything that we do is embodying this, becoming the gospel for the sake, for the sake of the world. As we come to the tables in a second, the team's going to come and lead in just a second. Um, there's communion back there, and we're going to have a time of worship and just celebrate. Um, I'm going to be at the back as well. If you need prayer, there's also places on the table because we like craft paper and crayon where you can write some prayer requests down there. And then the other thing as we come to the table is, um, you know, we don't talk about money a lot here, partly because I've just been a little jaded, I think, about just wrestling through that in my own mind about like the church not wanting to have a posture of always asking for money. But I've felt really convicted recently because the one thing we want to continue to cultivate here is generosity. And so um, there are ways, and we want at communion time to give you opportunity to give. Now, I'm not talking about praxis. I mean, we have needs here and different things, but honestly, you guys have been fantastic and amazing, and we're not, the budget is not like hurting. This is not a plea for money. I just have felt a deeper conviction, like maybe this communion time, as we move our bodies to the communion emblems, as we take time to pray, um, and create some, hopefully create some teams around that down the road, but as well to give. Maybe it's a time where you can pop on your phone, and maybe it is in practice. Maybe it is something that God's put on your heart recently that you know is doing good work. I think it's a great time collectively, not just to, to eat and to drink, that's part of it and remember, but also to exercise some of these things as we come to the table, right? Jesus is inviting us. This is not a plea on our end as much as we just want to continue to remind people, hey, let's be this community that does things pretty light and doesn't own a building and have certain things 
to enable us to give and exercise a type of generosity. We may not ought to if we had other things over us. And so the call is, you hanging in there? You all right? The call is to continue to cultivate and embody this good news of being, it's who we are, of doing and living out the instruction of what Paul says here. I, I love how he says, clothe yourselves in community with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I mean, that could be a, a year-long series in how we do that, but just cultivating that within us and then speaking this great news. That's who we want to be. So King Jesus, we just ask in this moment as we respond that you would work in us. What I love, God, is the stories we enter into of people and communities that were just very weak and yet your power moved in and through them. And so as we look around, even at our, our community, purpose to follow you, um, use us in our weakness. Use us in our weakness, in my weakness, King Jesus. May you be strong. And I just pray that Praxis Church, and the church in general, but as we think about our community here, would just be a surprising community. Not of power or striving or to become something, but simple people living into the good news of your kingdom. Thank you for every household, for what you're doing. I think of the kids downstairs, our students just eating and just the joy that there is. Do, do a deep work. The kids that are bouncing on bouncy castles and listening and, uh, to lessons and in, engaging. God, be among us. Help us to be this community. Whereas people would look in or join in, they would experience you. We are not the hero of our story, King Jesus, you are. So help us. You're the, you're the hero. You are the king. And this kingdom calls forth a great response. People submitted to your will and to your ways. And as we come to the table, in what can seem like such simple things, bread and juice, may it be the way that you, part of the way that you move within us, a yielding, a longing, a turning towards you. That even as we do something that we do every single week, there'd be a sense of new creation around us, even in our taste buds, in our hands as we write prayer requests, in our thumbs this morning maybe as we contribute, God, to things you've placed on our heart, whatever it is. We, we embody this. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Stand with me. The team is gonna lead us and we're just gonna open a time of worship for the next six to 10 minutes here, take some time, and you, you move to the table when you feel, but let's sing, let's celebrate, lead us, lead us.